0: Praise the, Lord. praise the Lord! Okay, so we're here on our last meeting, and I think you can hear me because that's loud. <laughs> I tend to speak loud. Um, and uh, it's been a wonderful conference so far. Don't you agree? Yeah. If you have enjoyed this conference, say, praise the Lord! Praise How many are here maybe for their, the first time, if they came in late last night or this morning? Raise your hand. Okay, so there are a few. Okay, I want to give just a, a real quick, brief uh, review. Um, the subject of this conference is what? Christ and the church, church revealed and, and experienced in 2 Corinthians. Corinthians. Christ and the church revealed and experienced in 2 Corinthians. And we saw Brother uh, 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 Paul shared with us uh, from one verse, mostly, in 2 Corinthians. That's the last verse. 2 Corinthians 13, 14 talks about the love of God, the grace of Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. So based upon this verse, he showed us the new covenant economy of God and how God went through a process so that he could dispense himself into us. And I like what he said. He said, we should not waste the process. My wife likes to cook, and uh, sometimes she'll spend a lot of time in the kitchen, And if she prepared everything and sat the food in front of me and I looked at it and then walked away and didn't eat, she would not be happy and I would not be satisfied and the process would have been wasted. So let's not waste the process. The Lord has done so much for us. We just have to cooperate with Him just a little, open just a little, receive Him a little and a little and a little until we're filled up with Him. So don't waste the process. And then um, we began, Brother Jose Luis... Uh, began an A to Z of life principles and practices in 2 Corinthians. It's not exhaustive, but it covers quite a lot in 2 Corinthians. Things that are very useful for us in walking and living the Christian life and the church life. And that message was, was very, very good. And then, brother, uh, well, and then after that, we had uh, you, students, you spoke a message. And that was on the five significant and expressive metaphors in 2 Corinthians chapters 2 and 3. Actually, I'd like maybe to have five volunteers, maybe three brothers and two sisters come up here. And uh, wh- whoever, two, three brothers, two sisters come up here and express or declare, recite what those five expressive and significant metaphors are with their descriptors. That, that's in, your, uh, in your, your readings. So bold brothers and bold sisters. Maybe there's no bold brothers and bold sisters. Okay, one bold sister. Come on, sister, come on up here. Maybe sisters over here, sisters over here, brothers over here. Okay, one bold brother, one bold, okay, two bold brothers, one bold sister. Okay, looks like we got them. Okay, three brothers, two sisters. Okay. Now, I'll leave it to you which one you want to get. Okay? Who wants to start? Sisters first, maybe. Okay, now you have to speak it out. Is, is this on? You can turn it on. Okay. Okay. You want to declare it, ex- and you want to exercise your spirit. Um, Is it on? <laughs> it's okay. You can, you can do it loudly. Okay. Um, so when we're fused with the living God, Christ in us, fragrance of Christ just goes everywhere. Um, as okay, so that metaphor was what? The fragrance of Christ. The fragrance of Christ. Yes. Very good. Okay, so the, the, the first one was what? Uh, the okay, and what are we? Oh, we are captives of Amen. Christ. Amen. Right. So. Captives in a triumphal procession. To celebrate what? Christ,
1: like, like accepting Christ into
0: our lives. Okay, and to celebrate his victory. Yes. Yes. <laughs> he has defeated us. Okay, and then after we've been defeated, we become a fragrance of Christ, right? Okay, brothers, what's next? Number three. All right. And good. you got to try not to read it. Okay. If you can.
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, number three.
0: Uh, so we are, you know, Paul tells us we need, to be a, we need to be epistles. He likens to us to epistles, like letters. So we need to be walking letters, basically. Amen. Because so if we are if we're, if we're, if we're experiencing, if, if we are uh, illustrating Christ in us, and people see that, they're going to say, hey, man, what is this? But in order to do this, in order to be, to
1: express Christ fully, we need to be our veils need to be removed. Amen. Need to be unveiled. Amen. And by doing this is turning our heart completely to the Lord. Amen. Amen. Yes. Amen. Hallelujah.
0: Okay, very good. Now, number four. So that, that metaphor was the letter. That was the letter. Written by with Christ as the context. So number four. You gotta, you gotta tell them. It was mirrors. And hey. how we look to the Lord, our veil is taken away, and how so many things can be our veils. Anything that is not us turning to the Lord. Amen. And how he needs to remove those veils. Yes. Amen. Very good. Okay, brother. Last one. So the last one was we are earthen vessels. Earthen vessels are just made of clay. They're very cheap, uh, fragile, and this is going to say they're worthless. We are worthless vessels containing the most priceless treasure in the universe. Hallelujah. So, so we need to be destroyed, broken down. So that when people look at it, they do not see any glory of any earthen vessel; They see the glory of the treasure of Christ. Amen. Praise the Lord. Okay. Very good, brothers and sisters. Very good. Okay. Now you need to go home and go to your campuses and tell someone what you just said up here. Okay. Now I'm going to cover, we're going to continue life-giving principles and practices. And I will cover uh, Q through V. And then Brother Michael Zinn will cover W through Z. So we're going A to Z. Life principles and practices. Okay, how about let's all read Q together. Ready, go. And then, uh, brothers, how about you read 2 Corinthians 6, 4, just up to where it says God. So read God. Okay, ready, go. Okay, so Paul said, we commend ourselves in everything as ministers of God. Are you a minister of God? Yes. You know, a minister of God is not someone who has gone through, uh, you know, four or six or eight years of training and then gets a kind of a caller up here. That's not a minister of God or a minister of Christ. A minister of God, simply put, is one who ministers God. A minister of Christ is not some position. A minister of Christ is one who ministers Christ. Can you minister Christ? Yes. How about you turn to your neighbor and say, you are a minister of God, minister of God. and then turn the other way and say, say I, am I am a minister of Christ. This is really true. Paul was our pattern. For sure he was a minister, for sure, but he was our pattern and all of us should be New Testament ministers of God and of Christ and of the New Testament ministry. And uh, how about have sisters go down and read Romans 1-9 at the end of this cue. Uh, Ready, go. For God is my I serve <clears throat> in my spirit, in the of his Son, How <clears throat> I of you always in my prayers. So Paul served in his spirit in the gospel of God's Son, and he was a minister of God. And we need to do the same. Now when we're talking about ministering God... You know, sometimes we, th- we think a lot of things about what that is. Really, I like what Jose Luis said. He said, you need to give what you've got. So we need to be filled up with God. We need to be filled up with Christ. And then we just give that to others. Don't think that you have to know a whole bunch. Uh, that will come in time. You'll, you'll for surely gain the knowledge of God. But what you know, and especially what you have experienced and enjoy, you speak that to someone, and that will be a real New Testament ministry, and you will be a real New Testament minister. So speak what you know and what you have experienced. Okay, now um, let's finish, brothers, on number four, where it starts, in much endurance, read that, then sisters, read five, and then we'll alternate through, through uh, ten. So brothers, in much endurance. Okay, Paul was a minister of God, we should be ministers of God, but if we are real ministers of God, know that there is something attached to that, and we have to know this, and that is that we will experience some suffering, we will experience some opposition, we will experience some some misunderstanding, and even some persecution. This will happen, it may not be to the extent of Paul. I mean, how many in here has ever been shipwrecked? Okay, I didn't, I didn't think so. How many of you have been, have been beaten for the gospel? Yeah, th- this may not happen to us. It may. In some place in the world, this does happen. But it may not happen to us. But we still will experience some suffering, some misunderstanding, some persecution. You know, a little testimony. My wife, when I met my wife, she was an unbeliever. Of course, we didn't get married so after she became a believer. But she was an unbeliever, and she was, actually, she was very depressed she was, uh, she was she dressed all in, you know, kind of black all the time. And she, I mean, she was bad. She was really, really bad off. And uh, she's okay with me saying this. And, uh, and she listened to dark music. Even she was, she had suicidal thoughts. Her mom was real worried about her and just really, really, really bad off. And anyhow, I met her and then I began to speak the gospel to her and it took about four months. But eventually she prayed to receive the Lord, Amen. called on the Lord's name. And she was dynamically saved. Amen. And she did a 180. So here she's dark and depressed, and even what she wore is just dark and, and, you know, suicidal thoughts. And then she did a 180. Wow. And she was happy. She was joyful. She was, even her, her outward appearance changed pretty quickly. And uh, anyhow, you would think, isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. Her life was changed for the better, much better. Well, you know what happened? Her uh, her family, her relatives, her mom uh, began to say things, and well, she got baptized. She began to read the Bible. She began to fellowship with other believers, and uh, so her her life was was great. Yeah. You know, she was enjoying the Lord, pursuing Christ. But then it looked so strange to what she was before and to her family that they began to say things about her, like she's a Jesus freak, and some among the family was calling her a cult. And then after we got married, and we moved to another city. Somebody even said. Uh, he kidnapped her, I mean, he kidnapped my wife. It was just, <laughs> so this kind of thing happens, suffering, and believe me, that was a little suffering and a, a kind of a persecution and a, and a misunderstanding for sure. Okay, now many, many years later, all of her family loves me to death and loves, loves her, of course, and, and now we have a good testimony with them. And many of them are, are starting to read the, the ministry and, and uh, being encouraged with what we're into, so it's really great. But there was some persecution, some misunderstanding. So just know that if you are a true minister of God, these things will happen. So just be aware of that. But one thing, the last point of last message, uh, Brother Tim C. didn't get to cover it, but it says that the the apostles co-labored, co-worked with God with an all-fitting life. Don't worry about the sufferings and the persecutions because we have an all-fitting life. We're not marshmallows. We don't melt at the first sign of heat or discomfort. No, we have a life that can fit anywhere. If you're shipwrecked, like Paul was, you can tell those around you, cheer up, man. How could you cheer up? Or if you're in prison like Paul and Silas was, you can praise the Lord, and the jailer will get saved, he and his household. So we have an all-fitting life. That's wonderful. Okay, let's go on to R. How about let's read that uh, together? Ready, go. And then, uh, how about all of us read 2 Corinthians 6, 14, just up to where it says, unbelievers. Yoked with unbelievers. Okay, dissimilarly yoked. What does that mean? Okay, I have a little illustration here. You're going to have to use your strong college mind to imagine that this is a yoke. Okay, I need two brothers. Smith, maybe you two brothers, come on up here. Okay, this is a yoke. A yoke... Is a, wooden, uh, is a piece of wood that connects two, two animals together, put on your neck. And it goes on your neck, and it joins two animals together so that they could pull a, a, a plow or a cart, so they can work together. Okay, to be, uh, was dissimilarly yoked, or another, another word is unequally, or you could say diversely, would be if you have two different animals. So let's say you have an ox here, a strong ox, but then here you have a snake. What would be a snake? Go on down. <laughs> Okay, a snake. Okay, a snake, you know. They are unequal. Do you think they can co-labor together very well? No, he'll he'll move forward and, and he'll keep biting. Or if he's a wolf, you know, he'll, he'll keep biting. Or if he's... Okay, maybe you're not a serpent or a wolf. Maybe you're pretty good. You're a little lamb. You, you think that's still equally yoked? No, it's not equally yoked. So, um, what Paul is saying... Okay, thank you, brothers. What Paul is saying is that um, we, as believers in Christ should not be diversely or unequally or dissimilarly yoked with unbelievers. Uh, And, you know, he goes on here. Let's read this where it says, "For 2 Corinthians 6.14, for what partnership? Let's read that through verse 16 and stop where it says idols. All together, ready? For what partnership? Okay, so Paul is very strong. Now, this isn't me. I didn't make this up. This is Paul in the Word. Daniel, how about you come up in another brother? Come on up, brother. Okay. Here's what Paul is saying. This is quite striking. Okay, Daniel, come over here. Okay, let's just suppose, of course, these are both wonderful dear brothers, believers, but let's suppose this is a believer and this is an unbeliever. Okay, Paul is saying, don't be dissimilarly yoked with unbelievers. Then he says, look, for what partnership do righteousness? He calls the believer righteousness. And he calls the believer light. And he calls the believer Christ, even. He calls the believer a believer. He's a believer in Christ. And he calls the believer a temple of God. Okay, that's wonderful. Now, what does he say about the unbeliever? And then there, This is the word of God. This isn't me. This is the word of God. He says, he calls the unbeliever lawlessness, uh, darkness, belial. That's another kind of a even more negative name for for Satan. Um, Unbeliever, unbeliever, he doesn't believe in Christ. And then idols, idols. Paul is saying on one side, you have Christ, fellowship. Uh, I mean, you have Christ, righteousness and light and the temple of God and believers. And the other, you have Satan, the Belial. You have lawlessness and you have darkness. So as a believer, we should not be yoked with this. We should be yoked or joined with This, this is what, what Paul is saying here, right? Okay, th- thank you, brothers. Okay, so we have to... This is God's Word. We, we have to, to take it. And then he goes on. And uh, so what Paul is saying, you know, we are social creatures, but we have to be careful who we are joined to. We have to be careful whom we are joined to. He goes on here and he says, "'For we are the temple of the living God, even as God said, "'I will dwell among them and walk among them, "'and I will be their God.'" and they will be my people. Therefore come out from their midst and be separated, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you and you will be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. So he goes on to say that uh, we are the temple of the living God. This is connected. This is all in the same section. As the temple of God, he wants to dwell among us and to dwell in us as the church and even personally, and he wants to walk among us. What is it to dwell in a home? If you dwell in a home, that means that place is your place of rest, your place of satisfaction. Your living is there, and that home expresses you. It expresses you. How many of you have ever moved in a, into a house that has everything already furnished and, uh, uh, you know, you can't, can't touch anything? Have you ever done that before? It's not your home. You're just kind of a guest for a little while. But if you were to really move in, you would change everything so that it would express you. The Lord wants to do that with us in our hearts, and he wants to do that in the church. And it says I will wa-, he wants to walk among them. What is it to walk among us? That means that he has full freedom of movement. There's nothing that hinders his movement in us and among us. How about we say, Lord Jesus, I want you to move freely in me, The Lord wants to move in us. He wants to have free access to every room. He wants to change whatever He wants to change so that it expresses Him as the residence, and He wants to move freely within us and among us. So, uh, you, you know, um, well, here, let's read these verses. Ephesians, 1 Corinthians, and 1 Timothy. How about brothers, Ephesians 3, sisters, 1 Corinthians 6, and then we'll alternate. Brothers, go first. Sisters, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Brothers. Do you not know that you are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Sisters. Okay, so these verses... Um, tell us that our hearts are a home for Christ. The Lord wants to dwell in us personally and make his home in all of our heart. Actually, a very good prayer every single morning and even throughout the day is, Lord, make your home in my heart. Amen. Well, let's all say that. Lord, make your home in my heart. And even our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. So we have to be careful concerning our bodies. Where do our bodies go? What do our bodies contact? We're carrying around the Holy Spirit. And then the church is the temple of the Holy Spirit, the temple of God, and the house of God. Okay, so Paul is, is putting this together with being dissimilarly yoked. If you don't allow, or if you are dissimilarly yoked with unbelievers, the Lord doesn't have a way to make His home in your heart. And He doesn't have free access, and He doesn't have free movement among you because of whom you are joined to. So we really need to take the Lord's Word in this. Now, Paul does not say... Don't become yoked. He says, don't become dissimilarly yoked. Actually, we should be yoked. We should be joined to believers. We need to be joined with some companions that help us to pursue Christ with. We need this. Actually, it is very good to have some, at least one or two that's a little above you, older than you, some that are at your same level, and some that are under you. If you have companions like this then you will be able to pursue Christ in a very, very good way. And these ones you should be able to call on the Lord with, you should be able to pray with, you should be able to fellowship with, you should be able to bring up your burdens concerning the gospel with, you can serve with. If you can do this, then you are similarly yoked. You are equally yoked. You are uh, not... What's the opposite of diversely? You are... Anyhow, you're yoked in a good way. You're joined together in a very good way. So, we should be... um, We should not be dissimilarly yoked, but we should be similarly yoked for sure. Don't be a loner Christian. Don't be a loner Christian. I was reminded of 1 Peter 5, 8, where it says that Satan, as a roaring lion, is walking about seeking someone Someone. to devour. Didn't say he's seeking a group of, of people to devour. He's seeking someone. If you're a loner Christian, you may become devil's food. We don't want to be devil's food. So you need to be joined with some positive companions, positive companions. Okay, and then, uh, you know, okay, I'll I'll say that for a minute. The third thing here under this portion is, what's our attitude towards the world, towards our previous friends? Maybe we get saved and we have a bunch of friends that are unbelievers. Do we just never talk to them again? Do we just, you know, hide with our new companions in in a house and never go out? No, no, we, we're not of the world, but we live in the world. So what should our attitude be towards everyone in the world? Well, we, have, we do have to have a certain kind of an attitude. And this attitude becomes a, a kind of a view and an insulation to us to protect us from, uh, from being devil's food. And that is this. Uh, well, I should say one of the things uh, is to have a gospel attitude. We should have a gospel attitude. So, um, your friend, you got saved, your friend's an unbeliever, well, if you stay joined to that friend, you will be brought down. You'll be dissimilarly yoked. So, there needs to be a kind of a cutting, but now you begin to pray for your friend. Now you have a gospel attitude, and it may be that you're you're friendly with him, and it may be you even do some things with him or her. Um, You have to judge within. But but still, that insulation should be regarding should be a gospel insulation that will save you, and it may save them. And this has happened to many of us. My own testimony: when I was in high school, or junior high and high school, half of high school, I was dissimilarly yoked for sure. I was a believer. I was raised, you know, in in a a, among in a Christian family. But I became rebellious and got dissimilarly yoked, and that had a great influence upon me negatively. I went down. And it was only God's mercy that recovered my heart and rekindled my love towards Him. And so what happened is I had to make a cut for my friends. But even though I made a cut, there were some that I spoke the gospel to. And one of my friends, um, in this kind of short, like a kind of a month period, he got really saved and baptized. So that uh, gospel, I had a cut. I got rid of that yoke for sure. And it was a, a, a sharp cut. But still, I had an attitude in the gospel, and so one of my close friends uh, was saved and baptized. Praise the Lord. Then when I got into college, I became yoked, uh, similarly yoked, equally yoked with other believers above me and had some that were younger than me and some about my same age, and I was, I was protected. And I, was, I had a good way to go on strongly in the Christian life. So we need to, um, we need to, to do this as well. Okay, um, the next three points... Uh, the will of God expressed, abounding in sufficient grace, and the indescribable gift of God, there's a certain kind of a context to this section. And the context is this. Paul and some other apostles, they had gone to some churches and they had collected some material offerings to be sent to Jerusalem, the Jewish believers who were in poverty and in need. Okay, the Jewish believers shared with the Gentile believers in spiritual things, and now the Gentile believers were were fellowshipping with them with material offerings. And so Paul and those with him were going through the churches, and Paul's writing to the Corinthians, and he's uh, talking to the Corinthians about giving material material possessions. Okay, This, this is the context. It seems like Paul is fundraising. But actually, if you read this, Paul is not fundraising at all. Paul actually turns uh, this matter of giving materially to a spiritual matter full of life and building in the Spirit. So he was quite, quite gifted in this. And so this is kind of the the context here. So uh, 2 Corinthians 8, 5 says, And this, not as we had hoped, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and to us through the will of God. So a few things to see here. Number one is it says that the believers gave themselves... So this points to the fact that the Lord cares more for us than for what we have or what we can do. We should all be those that would give ourselves to the Lord. Amen. It's not just giving things or giving your time or your energy. It's you need to give yourself to the Lord first of all. Amen. How about we all just make that prayer, Lord, I give myself to you. Lord, I give myself to you. Okay, that's number one. He doesn't, he's not so concerned with what we have or what we can do but with giving ourselves to Him. Okay, number two is, there's a kind of a balance here. He says here, they gave themselves first to the Lord and to us through the will of God. We have to be balanced. Some of us, when we're going through things or we need to to seek some direction or, or, you know, something like this, we're willing to go to others to fellowship. I'm going to go to Paul and Mike and and fellowship. What do I do, brothers? I'm seeking direction. But I don't go to the Lord you know, I just, you know, you brothers, you tell me what to do and I'll do it. I mean, that's pretty easy. But you don't go to the Lord. No, we have to, first of all, go to the Lord personally. Go to the Lord. But then the flip side is some of us, we go to the Lord, but we never go for fellowship. We, we go to the Lord and it's just me and the Lord. Whatever the Lord says, however I feel what the Lord is saying, that's it. But I never will fellowship with others. This is to be imbalanced. We need to first go to the Lord and then go to others. Actually, this, uh, this is, we should not be afraid of fellowship. You know, sometimes we go for fellowship thinking we're going to get fellowship, and so we don't go. But uh, this almost never happens. I mean, it shouldn't happen like that. But usually, and this has been my experience, I go to brothers, and I kind of think I'm going to get some fellowship. Um, and so I'm a little afraid. I, maybe they're going to say what I don't want to hear. But actually, I go and I open something up and I fellowship, and it's like opening the windows in a dark room. You let in the light and you let in the air. And just a kind of light comes in and a freshness comes in, and that light and that freshness gives you some leading and direction. That brother or that sister may not have told you anything to do, but there's just a certain kind of a a freshness and a certain light that leads you. And then uh, the other thing is we have to learn to give. You know, the Lord said in Matthew 6, 21... Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So we like to flip it around and say, where our heart is, that's where my treasure will be. I, 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 my heart is there, so I'll put my treasure there. But the Lord says, no, you put your treasure there and your heart will follow. Treasure first and then your heart. And then the Lord himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Even as college students at your age, you should learn to give. You should learn to give. Even monetarily, you should learn, learn to give. But when you when you as you're learning to give, I would say start small, make it a habit, and it should be a heart matter, and it should be like Paul did with the Corinthians. It should be a spiritual matter. Yeah. Don't let it be so disconnected from you. I'll let you know money be auto deposit auto uh, removed from my account once every year. Uh, that's easy maybe, but you know your heart is not involved, and there's maybe not so much spiritual involved. There's not, not much prayer. So um, we need to learn to give. Start small, make it a habit, build from there, and then um, uh, make it a heart matter and a spiritual matter. Okay, then T says, Second um, Corinthians 9, 8, And God is able to make all grace abound unto you, that in everything, always, having all sufficiency, you may abound unto every good work. This is after a verse where Paul said, God loves a cheerful giver. And he was telling the Corinthians, you sow with your material offerings, and you'll reap what you sow. If you sow a lot, you'll reap a lot. And Paul says this right afterwards. I love how how he uses these words. All grace abound in everything, always, all sufficiency, again, abound every good work. This shows that Paul was absolutely confident in God's care and God's provision. Paul had tried God and found him to be true. As college students, and all of us, we need to learn to trust absolutely in God. Amen. Even if the circumstances appear to be uh, against, um, against us, still we trust in the Lord. Paul's saying, if you give, I'm you absolutely confident, the Lord will return in full and abundantly. You know, some of us in this conference, um, well, all of us, we paid a price to get here. And some of us maybe had tests and certain other obligations, but yet you took a step of faith. And the Lord has honored you with Christ. And maybe the Lord has worked out all the the situations. Oftentimes, back home, among some I serve with, when we're praying for situations regarding the students, uh, those that I'm serving with know this, I'll pray a lot. Lord, firstly, Lord, release the faith. We may talk about, Lord, release them from their job. Lord, release them from, you know, get their test done earlier, all these kinds of things. But that's secondary. Lord, release the faith, the absolute trust in you. And then all these things the Lord will have a way to work out. And then in you, he says, he uh, ends this section. And he says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. How about let's all read that. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Hallelujah. So this gift is grace. Paul was talking about material things, but within this he said, there's a grace of God, there's a grace of Christ, there's a grace from the apostles, and there's a grace and a fellowship among the believers. So we said, what an indescribable gift we have of grace. Okay, I think I'm going to stop here, the last point, and Michael will take up. Like, okay, we'll go to the last point. Praise the Lord. Okay, how about let's all read V together. Ready, go. Okay, second Corinthians 10, 4 through 5, sisters on four, brothers on five. Okay, Paul was talking about a kind of a spiritual warfare. He said even though we live in the flesh and we're fighting against things, we're not fighting uh, in in the fleshly realm. We're fighting in the spiritual realm. And then he talks about reasonings and thoughts and high things that are against God. You know, in this world today, you just turn on the TV, we know. There are many things, high things against the knowledge of God. Of course, on the college campuses, we know, and it's getting worse, I think. I I know, it's getting worse. So many high things against God, and so many reasonings and thoughts against God. Even within ourselves, things rise up against God. We have thoughts that become strongholds that that are against God, maybe kind of isms and philosophies and logic that are against God. So those things have to be overthrown, and the thoughts have to be taken captive to the obedience of Christ and it first starts with us because the verse is not on here but i think it's verse 6 it talks about paul saying that they're ready to take care of all the disobedience once their obedience was fulfilled so indicating that the base of of the obedience of the uh, of the obedience of the rest out there has to begin with our obedience and our thoughts being taken captive to christ and i would say the best way to have our thoughts taken captive to christ is to be in the Word of God. Like Brother Tim C. said, we need Facebook time. We need FaceTime. We need to spend time in the book of books and put our face in it and spend time in the face of the Lord Jesus. If we do this, then we will be infused with the knowledge of God. And as we're infused with the knowledge of God, our minds will be renewed, like it says in Ephesians, that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And as we're spending time in the Word of God, then the Lord has a way to break down the strongholds in our thoughts and take captive our every thought unto His obedience. Look at this last verse. Let's read this last verse together. Jeremiah 23, 29. Ready? Go. The Lord's Lord, Word, the verse before this, it says, is Lord's Lord's Word's like grain for nourishment. It's also like fire. It burns up the negative things. But it's also a hammer that breaks the rocks in pieces. So when we spend time in the Word of God, the strongholds in our reasonings and our thoughts and our logic and our concepts are broken down, and our minds are renewed and filled with Christ. So the best way to be in the Word of God is to pray, read the Word of God. Don't just read it, but to pray over it and to eat it and to get the nourishment out of the Word of God, and also learning to say amen to the Word of God, especially after we've eaten the Word of God and we're in our daily living and the Lord speaks to us. He's operating within us and He says, don't do that, or do this, or don't say that, or do say this. We have to learn to be obedient to Him by saying amen to His Word within us. Okay, I'll stop there.
1: All right. Let's uh, continue. Read the next point, which is W. Let's read that together. Ready, go. So the title of these last couple messages has been Life-Giving Principles and Practices in 2 Corinthians. Uh, Well, this point may be an exception in that this is not a life-giving principle. In fact, if you are one who... Practices, comparisons, you're going to have all your life leaked out. Okay, so let's read these verses, uh, 2 Corinthians, or this verse, 2 Corinthians 10 12. Everybody, ready? Go. So, <clears throat> the context here was there was a group of uh, so-called apostles, Paul calls them super-apostles in a kind of an ironic way. They were there confusing the Corinthians, and they were, they were criticizing Paul and saying that Paul is trying to, to uh, steal from the churches, he's just trying to get your money. And uh, Paul here says, we're not comparing ourselves to those guys, they measure themselves, by themselves, compare themselves with themselves. There's too much self in there, right? Too much self. Well, if you get into this realm of comparisons, comparing yourself with others, you're going to get into the self, and there's really kind of two directions. You either become self-exalted and think, wow, why don't, how come I'm doing this and nobody else is doing it? How come... Brothers, I do this, and the other brothers don't do this. Or you get on the flip side, and you get into self-pity. Like, I can never be like those people. There's no way I can be like Paul. There's no way I can be like Harry. So you're either in self-pity or self-exaltation, but either way, it's the self. So we need to flee this realm of comparisons. And it's pretty strong there. It says devilish comparisons. Well, I thought, you know, there's a couple places in the Bible that, that directly talk about Satan's origin. Uh, Ezekiel 28 is one of them, and then Isaiah 14. And I, uh, Isaiah 14, there's five instances where Satan says, I will. I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will exalt my throne. I will sit upon the mount of assembly in the uttermost part of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will make myself like the most high. So here he is comparing himself with God, and he's thinking, I'm going to get higher than, than God. So surely this realm of comparisons, it's devilish. So don't be tempted to compare yourself. And it's hard because our whole human uh, culture is based on comparison and competition. And you, know, you take a, an exam and you get a grade. Well, you don't really know how it is unless you know what the average is, and so how do I compare it to everybody else? I remember in my sophomore year at UT, I had a physics class, and <laughs> I had never had physics in high school, and on the first exam, you know, we study, study. this was uh, physics for pre-med majors, so it wasn't, a, uh, you know, we weren't goof-offs, we were all studying hard. That first test, I had never failed a test in my life. That first test, I got a 16 out of 100. Well, then I found out the, the average was a 21. <laughs> so I thought, well, I'm not so bad. <laughs> Com- compared to everybody else, I'm, <laughs> I'll, I'll get the curve and I'll be okay. The professor said, you all did so poorly, I'm not going to curve this test. Oh. Anyway, that's just an example of being in a poor situation, but then you compare yourself and everybody else is pretty bad too, so I'm not, not too bad. Lord Jesus. Okay, so uh, Paul talks about in these next verses. How about, brothers, on Romans 12? Read those three verses there uh, Romans 12, 3, 4, and 6. Brothers, go. Christ. So we know that Paul was the unique uh, writer in the New Testament to mention the body of Christ, and his revelation of that came at his, at his conversion, when the Lord says, why are you persecuting me? And Paul, at least initially, began to see something about this Jesus in the heavens is connected to these people on the earth that I was, uh, I was persecuting. And so he's the only one that mentions the body, and he, he realized that what the Lord is after is... A body. Our human body is not a, a picture or a metaphor. Actually, the human body, the, the body of Christ is the reality, and we just have the picture that is helpful for us to understand the reality. Brother, can you come help me? What's your name? Ethan, come on up here. Where are you from? Taylor. Okay, so this is Ethan from Taylor. So here, here it says... All the members do not have the same function. Now we know uh, in the human body there's a lot of uh, there's there's members that are visible, right? You can see Ta- Ethan, not Taylor. You see Ethan's. <laughs> you can see Ethan's ears. You can see his nose, his eyes. Are those real color eyes or are those contact lenses? Okay, so he got. Uh, <laughs> He's got very attractive brown, brownish, green eyes. (laughs) And all of these members have different functions, right? Okay, your eyes, and then Paul, in many places, he talks about there's kind of uh, some differing speakings. He said, what if all the members were an eye, or all the members... Okay, well, you uh, were staying in a certain cabin this weekend. Was this your first time to Latham Springs? Okay. so, you came in back and forth several times in the cabin. Uh, mainly you used your eyes to do that, right? Uh, I don't think anybody just uses a sense of smell and, okay, I know where the, the cafeteria is, it's over here. <laughs> right? All the members have different functions and we, there's no competition of the members. His eyes, they're, they're necessary and all the other members appreciate the eyes. Have you ever woken up at night and you're walking through and you stumble and you hit something? Oh, that's because your eyes couldn't adjust to the darkness. So because of the the lack there of the eyes, the whole body is suffering. Thank you. So uh, when we consider each other and ourselves, don't get into the realm of of uh, comparing. Instead, realize I am a member of the body of Christ. In fact, let's all say, thank you, Lord, I'm a member of your body. Thank you, Lord, I'm a member of your body. I am just a member. I am just a member. We don't have to try and be anything more than we are, but don't ever fall for the lie of the enemy that, oh, you don't belong here. What are you doing here? Look at these people. They're, you, you don't belong here. You have to tell Satan, no, I am a member of the body of Christ. My function and my uh, may, may differ, and of course it will. All of our our functions differ, but we are all members of the body. So none of us should think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think, but think as to be sober-minded. That was in the first verse. So if you're ever thinking of yourself higher than being a member, you're thinking higher than you need to be. We are all members of the body of Christ. And Let's skip down to the next uh, verses. Sisters, let's read those from 1 Corinthians 12, 18 and 19. Ready, go. But now God has the members, each one of them, in the body. He if all were one member, where would the body be? So if, if there was just one, I was up here, it was just one large eyeball. I don't think you all would stay in the auditorium very long, right? This giant eyeball rolling onto the stage, (laughs) right? The eye, in in its measure and in its proper placement, it's very attractive. But if I was to take, what's your name, brother? Nick. If I was to take Nick's green eyes, very pleasant where they are now, but I pluck them out and share them with the sisters... (laughs) <laughs> right, <laughs> right, not not so pleasant. So all the all the uh, members with the different functions are necessary. Let's read Philippians two three. Everybody together, ready, go. Yeah. Considering one another more excellent than yourselves. And, <clears throat> uh, you know, there, in the church life, uh, there are <clears throat> a lot of times where we are encouraged to function. We're encouraged to speak and to pray. And, you know, after this message, we'll have the mics lined up and you guys can speak. And because we still have that, the fallen nature of Satan in us, Till we die, there's always going to be a thing in us that uh, no matter how much we're trying to just express Christ and be for the Lord, there's still something of the self there and wants other people to appreciate me. So if I speak and the amen meter is like, "Mm," and then the next brother says something, and amen, then you think, why didn't, what's going on, right? (laughs) So we all, until the Lord comes back, we have to deal with this and, and say, Lord Jesus, save me. Save me from doing things by selfish ambition or way of vainglory. You know, another uh, kind of example of that is you come to a group and you say, uh, I I have this uh, gospel friend. I really want to pray for this person. Uh, And. You know, you do have a heart for them, but then there's also this kind of a thought about, you know, if I bring somebody to the Lord, then, then I mean, we all need to be uh, fruit-bearing, but there is still possibility of having this thought that, well, there's something about myself, that, well, I brought so many people to the Lord, right? Lord Jesus, save us. Oh, that we would not do things uh, in way of selfish ambition and vainglory, but in lowliness of mind. Caring just for the body. Okay, everybody on 1 Corinthians 15:10, ready, go. Before I uh, became a believer, I would hear this. Uh, they'd say, about like a homeless person, they'd say, there, but for the grace of God go I. And that's kind of turned it in a negative way: that I'm better than that person, and, and it's because of God's grace. But really, most people are just saying, anyway. Uh, but in the positive, Paul is saying, I am what I am because of grace, and what is grace? Grace is just the enjoyment of Christ, so don't worry so much about what member you are, what is your function, just enjoy the Lord, and when you enjoy him as grace, spontaneously your function will come out. Lord Jesus, amen. Okay, let's go to the next point, pure virgins to Christ. Let's have the uh, sisters, read 2 Corinthians 11, 2 and 3. Ready, go. For I am jealous over you with the jealousy of God. For I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I fear lest somehow, as a servant to see me by his craftiness, your thoughts will be corrupted from the simplicity and impurity for Christ. Okay, again, this is in that same context. That some had come in to Corinth and were were distracting the believers from what Paul had brought them into, and he's concerned for them. And he says he's jealous with them with a jealousy of God, because he betrothed them. That's not a word we use much. We have engagement, and you know I'm engaged to somebody. That, uh, this is kind of older, you know, English. I betrothed, but that means you have brought person and now they're planning to be married. And Paul saw himself as, as the one who was engaging the believers with Christ. And this is actually a, a test of a genuine New Testament minister is their ministry stirs up your love for the Lord. Hasn't your love been stirred up this weekend? That's just the, the spontaneous function of the New Testament ministry is we are drawn to love the Lord more than we, we did before. <clears throat> In the other hand... The ministry that's not, according to the New Testament, just stirs up questionings. So if you ever are with somebody and their speaking is just causing you to be confused and questioning, and your love for the Lord is going down, you have to really consider, is this, is this helpful? Is this a New Testament minister? Because the New Testament ministry causes you to be loving the Lord Jesus. When I got engaged, uh, I was living in Russia at the time and serving the Lord over there. And my uh, my fiance, uh, my okay, so she we had met each other in the church in Austin. She had grown up in the church in Austin. I had come into the church life there. Had very minimal contact when I was a student. I was a few years older than her. Uh, but then it, the Lord led me to go to Russia, and she, as a student, wanted to go see what the Lord was doing over there. It was uh, kind of a, the Lord's move at that time was really uh, happening in that part of the world. And she came, and the first summer, uh, you know, we just talked about what's happening in Austin and your, your family and things, but I, as much as possible, I was trying to conceal my feelings for her, and she, was, she had feelings for me, but I didn't know if she did or not. But uh, the next summer, she came, and through some fellowship... Uh, Brothers felt it might be an okay time to start a, a courtship. So I, we started to spend some time together. We got engaged. But I really wanted her to spend some time in the full-time training because it had been such an impact on my life. So uh, we got engaged, and then she went to the training in Anaheim. So for a year, I was in Russia. She was in, in Anaheim. And it was a little bit different at that time because uh, I don't think you can even do that now. I don't think you can go to the training engaged or, um, I don't know. But I know for sure you can't, you only have a certain amount of contact. So at that time, email was just coming around. This was 1994. And uh, <coughs> and uh, I was emailing her from Moscow, and she was emailing me just about every day from there in Anaheim. And we, there's this, is, you know, sweet time of engagement. And you could call from there. Of course, I don't know if you all understand, but at one point there were no cell phones, <laughs> or at least there were very minimal cell phones, you know, and there were these big suitcases you'd have to carry around. So most people did not have a cell phone, so you'd have a landline, and I would call from Russia. She'd answer, and we'd talk. Well, what if I called one time, and I said, Hannah, how are things going? And then I said, wait a minute, what's that in the background? She says, oh, it's uh, Brother Bob. What? Yeah, he's taking me out to dinner tonight. How do you think I'd feel? What? <laughs> Who is Bob? <laughs> right? So this is Paul's thought here. You've been betrothed to Christ, but now you're being distracted to be joined to something else. So his his he was stirred up. He was jealous. That their thoughts toward Christ were being corrupted, and they were being turned away. We need to be those that are just simple lovers of the Lord Jesus. You know, it's so safe to take the way of loving the Lord. And every day, it's good to pray, Lord Jesus, I love you. Cause me today, Lord, to love you more than I did yesterday. Draw me today from all the distracting things. Lord Jesus... Okay, let's have, the, uh, let's have everybody read Matthew 22, 37. Ready, go. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Do you guys know that song? Somebody start it. You shall love the Lord with all your heart. You shall love the Lord with all your soul, you shall love the Lord with all your mind, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. So the Lord is a jealous God and He wants us to love Him with everything. Our whole heart, our whole soul, our whole mind. And we saw in the previous messages, everything else should be a distant second, right? Well, look at this, Revelation 2.4. Brothers, read that. So this is the Lord speaking, the resurrected Christ speaking to the church in Ephesus. And he speaks a lot of positive things to them, and he only has one negative thing and that is you've left your first love. But actually, brothers and sisters, this is the uh, start of degradation. And all the things that came in later with the other churches, it all starts when you lose your first love. So may the Lord have mercy on us and keep us loving Him. And, you know... We all need to have a personal time, but also we need the other saints to keep us warmed up. You know, uh, Song of Songs says, draw me and we will run after you. So what happens is, you you know, as we spend the time with the Lord personally, we get drawn, but then if I come together and I see Neil is running after the Lord, that stirs me up to run. So uh, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Because we can uh, together stir each other up to love the Lord. Okay, read uh, Revelation 19, 6, sisters. Amen. Rejoice and exult. The marriage has come. I want to be at that wedding. Don't you? Yeah. I don't know if, if uh, it'll happen in our lifetime. I'm pretty sure it's going to happen within your lifetime. I hope uh, I'll live to be, long, to, to be around for that. Okay, let's go ahead and go to the next section. And let's read that title. Ready? Go. The on, the highest plane. on the highest plane. Everybody on 2 Corinthians 12 9 and 10. Experiencing Christ on the highest plane is meeting the Lord in your weaknesses. Nobody likes weaknesses. Everybody likes to be strong. A few weeks ago, we moved my 86-year-old father in to live with us because his uh, his health, and he's uh, six foot four and. Uh, his health is good enough that he could walk around fine, but we have really encouraged him to use one of those uh, four-pronged canes because uh, it's just less risk of him falling. And so, but to get him to start using that was like pulling teeth, because you want to you want to be feel like you're strong. You don't need. Why do I need that? And sometimes I'll come out at night and I'll see him walking through the house without it. And I'm like, I don't say anything because I don't want to like, feel like I'm, God, Dad, what are you doing? But, uh, <laughs> but that's just human nature. Likes to be strong. Doesn't want to depend on other things. But actually, if we're so strong, we're going to miss the Lord. Because we can just do it on our own. Why do we need him? So Paul, you know, had this particular uh, situation. He had seen so much. He'd seen things that people uh, before him and after him have never seen. He was caught up into the third heavens. He went into paradise. And because of that, it says he was given a thorn in his side to buffet him so that he would not be exceedingly lifted up. And we don't know for sure what it is, but it seems like it may have been the matter uh, he had poor eyesight. And maybe that's what it was. But whatever it is, he asked the Lord, Lord, I I don't want this. And please take it away. And he asked three times. And I don't think it was like just one-time prayers. He probably, beseeching the Lord, Lord, take this away. And he even thought, if it was related to his eyesight, maybe he thought, well, I could do so much more, Lord. I could travel more. I wouldn't have to, you know, I could just accomplish more. But the Lord said, what was the Lord's answer? He said, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. Brothers and sisters, you have weaknesses. I have weaknesses, and we we don't like the weaknesses, but we have to realize that it's there in that weakness that we can experience the Lord as sufficient grace. You know, sometimes you hear people say, well, you know, uh, you have Jesus, Jesus is your crutch. And you know, a good response to that is, you say, he is my crutch, Uh, I wish he was my wheelchair. I'm still too strong. I wish he was just doing everything. I was just coasting at him, right? You know, there's the uh, picture of a a river and a boat going down the river. You're in a canoe. How many of you all have ever been on a canoe or an inner tube going down a river? A lot of us. And let's say you are going down the river, and there's a big rock there. And that rock is like, you know, the thing... It's not, You're not going to go past it. So you can pray, Lord, take away the rock. Get the rock out of there. And the Lord will not answer that, though. The way of the Lord is to raise the level of the river. So instead of asking the Lord, Lord, take care of this. Deal with this weakness. cure of this. You should say, Lord, I have this weakness. I need to experience you in this weakness. I need you as grace. And then the level goes up, and... Nothing may change as far as the outward situation, but because of the increased grace, we're just able to sail right over that thing. Okay, the brothers kind of already covered 2 Corinthians 4, so let's drop down to the next point and let's read that together. Ready, go. Okay, and then uh, brothers on 2 Corinthians 14 and sisters on 15. Ready, go. Paul viewed the Corinthians as his children, and he was pouring out on them. And because of the disrupting the other Christian workers, uh, they were confused, and so they were loving him less, and they were even accusing him of things. Uh, But Paul said, you know, even if that's your attitude, I'm still going to pour out everything I, I have on you, because that was Paul's heart. That's the shepherding heart to not only spend, like, materially, but to, you know, pour out your whole being on them. And, um, <clears throat> you know, I had an experience uh, shepherding a brother, and I, as far as I can recall, in my whole Christian life, I haven't poured out as much as I have on this brother. And uh, just things that, you know, different circumstances and situations but then this brother uh, became offended with, with me, with something that happened, and he refused to, he refused text messages, he refused my phone calls. I went and knocked on the door, he said, go away. Um, <laughs> uh, it's, you know, loving you, am I, what does it say? Uh, am I love less? If I love you more abundantly, am I love less? And I, I believe I'm sure some of it is just the Lord dealing with me as well to get to gain me. But uh, don't think that if you pour out on somebody, they're just going to recognize that and, and just love you back. Sometimes, sometimes it's not 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 understood until maybe later. You know, I have three sons. Uh, the oldest hopefully will be here next uh, year as a as a as a senior in high school. And I hope that all of you that are here next year will shepherd him. But I have a younger son who's seven, and we have this kind of morning routine where I go in at 6.45, and I wake him up, and I carry him in to snuggle with my wife. Put him down, (laughs) put him in her bed, and they snuggle, and then at 7 o'clock, I say, okay, Aaron, it's time to to get breakfast. Well, (laughs) to get him out of that bed... It's not easy. I'm literally sometimes pulling him, and he's, he's leaning. <laughs> Aaron, you got to get going. You he, he can't be late. And, uh, he, and sometimes he just has these little temper tantrums. He knows he has to go to school. What is he going to I mean, he has to go to school. And, you know, I've done extra stuff and not done things in the morning that I wanted to do just to take care of him and make his breakfast. And yet he takes it out all on me. Like, I'm the bad guy. I'm... Mean, mean dad, taking him to school. <clears throat> so, brothers and sisters, you, you, you know, as New Testament ministers, we are all shepherds. And uh, don't think, you know, maybe you were here for the first time. Don't think, well, I'm, I'm not qualified to shepherd. We saw that the qualification is not us, it's of God. And, and God, as the chief shepherd, is actually in you to shepherd and I thought of a, uh, a, a story that happened. There was a brother who now lives, I believe he's in Arlington, uh, Jordan, I can't remember how you pronounce his last name, Ernst, 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 anyway, he was a friend of two brothers in Oklahoma and they invited him to the college conference. He'd never been to anything, not to a home meeting, not to a meeting. And on Friday night, you know how they have that dinner over there in West, uh, the barbecue? Well, those brothers had arranged for me to meet him there. So we meet, we eat together, we come here for the meeting we got here a little bit late, so he kind of missed uh, the exercise everything at the beginning, but he really enjoyed it. And next morning, he comes in here, and everybody's going, oh, Lord Jesus, oh, Lord Jesus, and that brother is just looking like this, what is going on? and he kind of sat down, and he said, he just put his hands in, and I didn't see this, he told me this like a decade later. He, he said, I was, I was just about to get up and walk when a, one of the brothers sitting next to him said, Hey, brother, I know it may seem a little strange right now, but just, just give us some time. Just be open. And so little later on in the, during the conference, during the weekend, he was calling on the Lord. He was praising. But that little, that little shepherding of leaning over, that, was, that maybe changed the direction of his whole life. So just a little bit of shepherding. And just consider, you know, when, when you're at a, a meeting and somebody new comes in, don't just linger with the people that you know, your, little, your buddies. Have an eye to care for other people. Okay, sorry. Uh, my time is up, but I want to finish with uh, these verses down at the bottom. First Thessalonians 2, 7, and 8. Uh, let's read those together. Ready, go. Okay, this, uh, these verses have been put to a song, probably many of you know it, but just in case you don't know it, we have uh, an audio of it, so uh, we're going to play that. Everybody just listen, even if you know the song, just listen the first verse and then it'll repeat uh, on the second verse, everybody can join in. And as we're s- singing, maybe we could get the mics up and start to get ready for our sharing. So let's do that.